Tonight, uh, we're going to do a little bit uh, of, of a different um, conversation around Christmas um, and, and sort of cast a Christmas vision. Um, so if you've got a Bible, open up to, to Isaiah 26, not your traditional Christmas text, um, I don't think, but one that I feel like, um, obviously, the whole Bible tells the story of Jesus. I believe this, this chapter really speaks to the desire that should be, that can be in all of our hearts, uh, to make much of Jesus, not just in this season, when it's easy to, uh, when every song that is on the radio mentions the name of Christ, whether it wants to or not, right? The Christmas just evokes uh, the real message and meaning and the, the Messiah behind the season. Uh, but in this season where Jesus is everywhere, in this season where it's so easy to talk about Him and to sing about Him and to think about Him, but what if we could somehow bottle this season up? And what if we could somehow uh, conjure within us and, and create within us this the desire that we have this week and the week over the last few weeks and the week to come, the desire that we have right now, what if we somehow could carry that with us to the whole year? Um, the zeal, the passion, uh, the devotion that we have to the name and the person of Jesus. And even as Christians, even as church members, even as churches, we, we sometimes lose sight of the bigger picture of the real um, the, the real meaning behind all of this. But what if, what if we could just bottle up the, the, the spirit of this season and sprinkle it out to every season, to every day? And I believe this vision that God's going to cast over us tonight will help us kind of get the idea that I believe the, uh, the spirit wants us to tonight. So we've talked plenty about Christmas, um, the ins and outs, the prelude, the main event, the thereafter. You all know the Christmas story. I can't add anything to the Christmas story that you won't already know. Um, I, uh, every year, uh, preaching in and out of the different texts, um, I try to do my best to be faithful to the text and present the story as it is given to us. Um, but you all are pretty smart, smart and sharp in your Bibles. You know the story, and, and it's great to hear it again, I believe. Um, but tonight, I want to do something a little different. Um, to go back, way before Christmas, to the key players, the key players that help set the stage for Christmas, and as we all um, have been involved in Christmas programs and dramas and plays, we've seen the stage being set. We've even helped behind the scenes. But of course, Christmas as the real event in history, there was a lot of things that, that, that led up to it. A lot of people, a lot of key players that were a part of that stage dressing, part of that process. But what's brilliant about their stories in hindsight is that they didn't know what they were helping to set up for, right? Now, you probably would not sign up to help set up for something if you didn't know what you were helping to set up for, right? You're not going to volunteer to do something if you don't have any idea what you're doing and why you're doing it and what the payoff's going to be. You want to be a part of something that you can understand that your impact is going to be useful, your, your, your input is going to be beneficial in some way, shape, or form. But what's brilliant and humbling about the stories of those behind Christmas, behind the scenes, setting the stage all those years before, is they didn't know what they were helping to set up. They just acted as if it was the right thing to do. They just acted as if doing what they were called to do was the most important thing they could do, and they could not ignore this sense of calling, even though all the details weren't given to them, even though they didn't have the full picture, they barely had a picture at all. But they acted as if it was just too important to dismiss. They acted as if their obedience, as if their faithfulness was crucial considering what could be, not what absolutely was, because they didn't know. 
They acted as if their faithfulness was crucial considering what could be at stake, what might be at stake. They had no guarantee that anything was going to play out to be, any, to, to be anything extraordinary. They had no guarantee that what they were working towards and what they were contributing towards, they had no guarantee that any of it at all was going to pay off or was going to be beneficial to the world or to themselves. But they acted as if their faithfulness could be so crucial because what could be at stake was just extraordinary and worth their attention. Even when they didn't know what could be at stake, even when they couldn't have known the bigger picture, the few that stand out do so because they stepped out on faith. They chose to believe that their lives were contributing to an unseen work. They were okay with that. Now, the modern church member, not to knock anybody or anybody that's here or not here or elsewhere, the modern Christian, and I think our churches even encourage this, and this is not anybody's fault, but churches really... The modern Christian, the modern church wants to, to, to try to convince people that, that you're always going to know and that you're always going to see tangible, direct, A to Z you know, correlation between what you do and what comes out. But that's just not the case. And it's never been more evident than what happens before Christmas because the people that were a part of the story, a part of the process leading up to the story, they could not see anything. Yet, they were obedient. They believed that though it was often and truly impossible to know their impact, or the size of their contribution, they had to do what they were called to do. Now, this might not be the most popular message. It might not be the most popular, you know, uh, or the, the, the thing that starts the biggest movement, but it should. And this really is really what we should always come back to, the examples that we have before us, the examples that really help set up all the major events that change the world. See, these few were driven by a passion and a conviction, a compulsion and an awe that there was a greater plan, there was a higher calling, there was an eternal purpose over us all. What makes these men and women in the old days stand out, what makes these people of history stand out, even those that we don't even know their stories, what made the story continue to go along was because there were people who were driven by this alt, this compassion, or this passion, this compulsion, this conviction, that there was a greater plan at stake. There was a greater plan at play. It was not about what they had planned. It was about what God had planned. There was a higher calling. It was more important than what they had scheduled and what they wanted wanted to do and what they felt like doing because this higher calling made, made, it, made it clear to them, this is what we've got to do. Not because you're out if you don't, but you might miss out if you don't. There is never a message in the Old Testament where God threatens somebody that if you don't, I won't. But there are plenty of messages in the Old Testament where God makes it very clear, you might miss out on what I'm going to do. I'm not going to love you any less. I'm not going to forget about you. I'm not going to forsake you. But you just might miss out on something. And is it worth it to take that chance? These men and women lived as if there was a greater plan, a higher calling, and an eternal purpose. As in, we've got our purposes down here, right? You've got some purposes for the holiday season, and I'm sure you have a good time planning and arranging and anticipating these things. But they acted as if there was an eternal purpose, something bigger and larger and grander than they could ever plan or imagine on their own, that God had given them a purpose, and they had a life to live out for His purposes, for His glory, for His sake and that is the case for every one of you they didn't fall for the trap that pays more attention to what others don't do 
See, isn't that what we do sometimes? We pay attention to those that don't pay attention. And somehow we excuse ourselves from the things that we know we should do and ought to do and have no excuse not to do. We get distracted, don't we? Churches are full. Christians are, are, are the worst. I'm the worst at wondering why you don't do what you should do. And then all the while, I don't do what I should do. But I'm okay because you didn't do it first. But we neither end up doing anything at all. And that should not be the case. But these people, they were driven by this sense of all, this sense of compassion, of compulsion, this sense of, uh, of passion. And, and here's the thing that the Second Corinthians tells us. For if the readiness is there... It is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. So here's what it's trying to say to us, that it's about what God has called you to do and how you respond to what He has put in front of you. Don't look over your shoulder or down the road or over the aisle and saying, what are they doing with what they should do? Because you don't know what they have been called to do because you aren't they, right? But you are you. We are all ourselves, right? And we are all under this plan, this calling, this purpose. And if we are obedient to what God has called us to do, we just might change the world. See, these people believe that every day mattered for something grand and divine. Do you? Are Sundays the day that God works and the other days just the days that something might happen good, but it's really just for, for, for you? Are Sundays the only day that you expect God to ever do anything or say anything? Or do you think that God can do something any day? Are the days that we feel like it the days that God might do something? Are the days that we don't feel like it also days that God might do something incredible? Are the days that we don't want to be bothered somehow excluded from God's plans and God's purposes? Listen, these people believed and chased after God's activity in every day. And that's why their names are in the book, right? But that's also why our names can be in this amazing story as it continues to be untold. See, here's the reason why I want to look back on these select few because they really embody what it means to live for God and truly glorify His name. You know, we sing about God's glory every Christmas uh, because rightly so. Uh, on that first Christmas, His glory is streamed and heavenly hosts sing hallelujah from here to there. But that was only possible because long before that starry night, there were once in a generation individuals who chose to seek out God's glory every day day and they didn't make it to Christmas to see what it all looked like they died years before but see if glories are going to continue to stream this side of Christmas we've got to chase after that same purpose every single day and that I believe is the vision that God wants to cast and that's the passion that God wants to ignite in every one of you tonight the prophet Isaiah wrote many of the famous Christmas oracles that we continue to repeat and recite today as prophecies of, of Jesus and the Messiah and all so forth. You all know and are familiar with some of these. Isaiah seven fourteen, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Of course, uh, Matthew quotes that prophecy in Matthew chapter 1 and attributed it to Jesus. Of course, how could it not be attributed to Jesus? Isaiah has another famous uh, prophecy Isaiah 9 for unto us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace so these are wonderful promises that Isaiah has given us but those aren't the promises or the prophecies I want to look at tonight one of Isaiah's lesser-known prophecies really speaks to being a generation that can carry these promises forward See, we love the Bible because we can read about promises that were fulfilled. 
we can find chapters and verses and then we can turn the page and we can see how those things were played out and those things actually happened. But there are a lot of things in the Bible that really are just visions. Visions that are cast over whoever wants to take them, right? Uh, visions and prophecies that are cast over anybody and everybody that wants to say, hey, I want that to apply to me. And there's no reason that it can't. Right? I want to be the person that this chapter is talking about in the spirit, right? in, the, in the idea of living every day as it says I can. I want to embody this text. I want to embody this vision. I want to live this out in a way that gets people's attention, not for my glory, but for God's glory. It's in there for God's glory, but God expects me and has called me and every one of us to make this visual, to make this real. One of Isaiah's lesser-known prophecies speaks about being a generation that can carry this torch and live as, this, as if these promises matter every single day. To live as if Jesus has truly changed our lives because He changed the world once. He altered people's plans once before. He's done it more than once, of course, but He can still do it again. We can be a generation to live as if who we are matters for the glory of God. Is that something you wake up every day and think about? Who you are matters for the glory of God. God created you. He ordained your life. Whatever fancy word you want to put there, put it there. God created you because you matter for His glory, for His fame, for His recognition, for His renown. You are essential to tell the whole story. You are essential to make the whole plan be realized. You are vital. You are crucial. You are a creation of God Himself. Your life matters for His glory. Don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. No matter what your age, what you've done, what you can't do, your life matters for the glory of God. And if that piques your interest, if that makes you think, well, what does that mean? How to, how, what, what, is there more to it? I hope I can keep you a little bit, but even if you just stop there, chase after this. God, if my life matters for your glory, what does today mean? What can today mean? What have you called me to do today? What does my life need to portray and convey to the world today? Because if I matter, then I want to pay attention. That we can be a generation that lives as if what we do can make a difference for the kingdom of God. What you do, right? What you do, what you think, what you say, what you do affects the kingdom, impacts the kingdom. Everybody involved, everybody a part of it those that you see, those that you can't see, those that you may never meet, those that aren't even born yet. Your life, what you do, matters and can make a difference. But do you live as if that's actually a reality, that's actually a possibility? That what you do can make a difference for the kingdom of God? Oh, what are you going to do today? I don't know, but here's what I do know. What I do is going to make a difference. It might just move the needle a centimeter forward. It might just move the needle a little bit forward. But I know this. My life today matters, and what I do today is going to make a difference. What if we had that attitude? That what I'm going to do today is going to make a difference. I don't know how it's going to make a difference. I know a few things I can do to make sure I make a difference. So I'm going to make sure I focus on those. But who knows what is going to make the difference today? What if we could be a generation that lives as if what we say can be a testimony for the story of God? And in our world today, maybe not it, say isn't the only proper word there, but what we share, right? What we say 
can be a testimony. Who knows, it could be the testimony that tells the story to somebody. Do you live that way? As if your life, your actions, and even your words can make a difference, can matter, and can be the testimony that tells the story to somebody. That we can possibly live every day in a way that tells God's story and points to God's plan in a way, in a way that makes Jesus as ubiquitous, that means everywhere. It rhymes with Christmas is why I used it. Make Jesus as ubiquitous every day as he is during Christmas. What if we could be a generation that makes that a reality? That makes Jesus as everywhere. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. How was your Christmas? What are you planning to do for Christmas? What is your Christmas all about? What if we could make the name of Jesus as ubiquitous as everywhere, as an everyday conversation starter as it is right now? Could we be that generation? I think we can be. I think God is wanting to cast that vision over you that are here tonight as we end this year and step forward into another year. Hear the word from Isaiah 26. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in a perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So this is really a vision of an ideal city. It doesn't have to be just Judah. It doesn't have to just be Israel. It could be any city, any place, anywhere, any time. A city that is strong because they are, it's full of people that trust in God for salvation, that have His peace, and their minds are on Him because the people trust in Him. This could be anybody. This could be y'all. This could be us right now in our church, in our city, in our country. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. For he brings down those who dwell on high. The lofty city he set lays it low. He lays it low to the ground. He brings it down to the dust. The foot shall tread on it, the feet of the poor, and the steps of the needy. So here's what this vision also entails. That the city that looks like it has it all together, the people that look like they've got everything they could ever need, but they forget God, they have no future. They have no future. Now, we can interpret this all different ways, but the moral of the story is if we put our stock in anything but, but the Lord, there's nothing securing or holding us up. So this vision gives us two different images, right? A strong city that may not look like it's full of the strongest people, but their hearts are trusting in the Lord. Meanwhile, there's another city that has everything that they could ever need, but it's crumbling. The way of the just is uprightness. O most upright, you weigh the path of the just. Yes, in the way of your judgment, O Lord, we have waited for you. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. You hear that last part? The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance, for the glory, for the recognition of you. So we want to be a generation that says our desire, our souls burn, and our hearts beat for your name. Our goal in life is to make the remembrance of God constant and everywhere. 
What if we live this way and we could make Him known and make His presence felt every day as this Scripture says is possible for a generation? What if we faced every day like these that set the stage? We believe, even though we might not know. We're trusting in, even though we aren't sure, we're choosing to trust. What if? Could it be? Could God move? Could God breathe? Could God awaken? Maybe God will change. Maybe God will do something. Maybe something might matter. Something might happen. We don't know for sure, but we believe. We don't have a lot of certainty, but we believe our lives, our actions, and our words. We believe we've got a purpose. And we're going to be bold and loud and bright about it. And maybe it won't pay off, but what if it does? We're standing in the shadow of what God has done, but also standing on the brink of what God might do. See, what makes the ancient generation so different is they didn't know what God was going to do. But they also didn't have the backstory that we have. See, we know what God has done, and we stand on the brink of what He might do and what He can do because we know what He has done. Louis Giglio puts it better than I can. Those that change the world refuse to spend their five minutes in comparison to eternity. Their five minutes on earth. Those that change the world refuse to spend their brief time on earth living for the name of a brand, of a culture, of a company, of an organization, of a country, of a party. Those that live on earth for the glory of God, for the cause of God's kingdom, for a purpose bigger than anything else, they refuse to waste their life living for the name of just a culture, just a brand, just a trend, just a company, just a country, just a party. Those that change the world refuse to live for my name or your name or any other name other than the name that is above all names. Those that change the world refuse, refuse to refuse, refuse to settle for less than His name and His glory. They reach beyond and everything that they do, they reach for what God might be up to. If you read the genealogy of Jesus, I, I'm not going to read it just for the sake of time, but if you read Matthew 1, Luke 3 also tells it. Uh, you see these names that, in the lineage and family tree of Jesus. And not just those people, but there are many that were in and around the stories uh, of Jesus and the, and the stories of those that were in his lineage that ultimately contributed to a much larger story. Uh, the story of God Almighty, his vision and purpose for planet Earth, for every one of us. I want to spotlight just two of them. It set an example and a model for us to follow so that we might learn from them. Because they clearly were an Isaiah 26 generation. They were individuals that were once in a generation kinds of people that made a difference, that knew their lives mattered, and that their testimonies added to the story. So may we be as they were and say, this is our desire, Lord. It's your name and your remembrance, your kingdom and your glory. It's all about what you're up to. And you've included us in this story. And that's amazing to think of that you've added us in. 
In the grand scheme of things, I think the best person to start with is, in retrospect, is Abraham. Abraham uh, is a man who comes out of nowhere because God called him out of nowhere. Before there was a Bible, there were no Bibles on shelves, there was no stories written down, there was really no faith community, there was no religion that we would call, point to as the faith community. Uh, God called Abraham out of nowhere uh, before there was anything that would have made this easy for him. He was from a family that worshipped many different gods, many different idols. They worshipped the stars, they worshipped rocks, they worshipped the culture uh, that they were a part of. There were stories of men like Adam and Enoch and Noah that had believed in a one true God, but they were just legends at this point in the world. But I want you to hear God's call to Abraham. And imagine, this is out of nowhere. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. So here's the translation. Abraham, I want you to leave everything. Your bank account, your 401k, your job, all your security, all your insurance, all your loved ones, all your stuff. Leave it all. I want you to leave it all. And I'm not even going to tell you where I'm taking you. And I'm not even going to really give it to you. I'm just going to take you to the area that it's going to end up being in years from now. But Abraham, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. And I don't really give you anything to really trust me on, uh, you know, give you any security or any reason to believe me. I just want you to trust my words. And here's what I'm going to tell you, Abraham. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. But this isn't going to happen for years after your life. I'm going to give you a tease of it, but I really can't show you this. I can't give you proof of this. I'm not going to take you into the future and say, look at this, Abraham, but I just want you to believe me when I tell you I'm going to make you really famous. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. But listen, that didn't do anything for Abraham. He didn't see any of that. He didn't experience any of that. He just had to respond to God with all that he had, which was, hey, I hear you. And I can live every day for me. And I can be one in a million in the land of Ur. And I can do what I've been doing for the last couple of years. And I can just be somebody. Or I can be yours. And God, I'm weighing the, the, the differences. I'm, 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 ch- I'm looking around and I'm wondering, you know, which should I choose? But God, I choose. I choose to trust in your plan. We don't know why. He doesn't, we don't see a prayer that he prayed where he really wrestles through his emotions or through his skepticism. He just says, okay, God, I'm in. And I believe the only reason that we can come to is that he looked at the possibilities, he weighed the odds and thought, what if I miss something? What if, is the, what if this is the God of Adam and Enoch and Noah? What if this is the one true God that we haven't heard from in years? What if this is him? And if this is him and I miss out... I'll never forget it. But this next verse is really what I want to focus on. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Oh, by the way, he was 75 years old when he decided to pack his bags, quit his job, leave his family, leave his hometown. And oh, by the way, he's going to have his name changed in the whole process of this. That's really not good for your reputation and your recognition, right? Whenever people who've known you can't even contact you, can't even look you up and say, well, is this the Abraham I knew? Because he wasn't named Abraham, right? God called him. He does what God calls him to do. But guess what? Somebody was watching him. You have no idea what might hang in the balance of your obedience to God. You have no idea who might hang in the balance of your obedience to God. You see that Abraham followed the Lord, Lot followed the Lord too. You see, in every step we take is is setting a trend. 
establishing a path, making a distinct lifestyle out of following God that somebody else might say, I can do that too. Every step we take away from living for lesser things and lesser names and living for the name is transcending and transforming society. Abraham didn't know what was on the line, but he walked a line of faith and obedience. And when things got shaky, when things got tight and intense, he did not budge. He doubled down on faith. When life got crazy, he listened to God's voice. He did not bail out. A few years later, Abraham had gotten involved in a scuffle and he was a wanted man. He didn't do anything wrong. He just saved his nephew from trouble. And the scripture said that a lot of the people were out to get him. And the Lord came to Abraham and said after those things, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. I am your reward. It shall be very great. I know you're afraid, Abraham, and you're wondering if this was worth it. But listen, buddy, I'm, I'm here for you. I've got your back. I'm still planning something big. But Abraham responds, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I'm still childless. The only heir I have is a slave. Remember that promise? Going to make your name great and going to make you a man of you know, many, many children, a father of a great nation. I don't even have a child yet. And God says, Abraham, don't worry, don't worry. This man shall not be your heir. Your very, your, your very own son. Listen, Abraham, you're still living on the promises. I haven't given you any proof yet, but just continue to believe. He said, Abraham, you can look to the heavens and you can number the stars if you could even do that. So shall your offspring be. He says, Abraham, again, I'm not going to give you any concrete evidence, but I just want you to trust me. And again, I think Abraham weighed the odds and weighed the options and thought, what if I miss out on something completely amazing? What if this is the way God plans on changing the world? And if I bail out now, I'll miss it. So I guess... I'm in. So Abraham believed. He trusted the Lord. And God counted that to him as if he was a righteous, perfect man. A man through whom he would definitely change the world. We ought to read that passage over and over again and remember and be reminded of just what was on the line God promises to shield us from an inferior path even though we've got plenty of legitimate distractions and reasons to doubt. We have to turn to God. We have to trust in God. If we're going to be a people that continues to carry this torch that lit up the night sky so many years ago, we have to be like Abraham. But it's not just about our obedience. It's also about how we worship the Lord. The way we worship is crucial in, our, in displaying to the world that His name and His glory are our only desires. When I think of people in Jesus' lineage that lived lives of true devotion and pure worship, I think of King David. He was the one who was known for his songs, having a heart after God, for, on fire for God. He was always attributing things to God. He saw God as involved in everything. He invited God to enter into every scenario. Even in the ones he royally messed up, he was quick to invite and welcome God into, believing that worship was the beginning of creating a revolution. David wanted to enlarge the platform God had given him and share it with others. David, of course, was the fulfillment to Abraham as the nation that Abraham was promised was given to David. And David ruled over that nation. David knew this nation, this platform, was too sacred to hold on to him for himself, though. Which prompts the question, what if we lived each day as if the platform God has given us 
was just too good to keep to ourselves. And platform, you know, it just means that the, the influence that you have, the blessings you've been given, the opportunities that you have. What if you lived each day as if the platform was wider and bigger than just what you can fit on it, what you can do with it? What if we welcomed others onto it? Shared with others from it? Served others with it? What if we realized that what God has given us is just a piece, just a part of what He wants to do for everybody and give to everybody? That He might would sync every one of us up together, that we might could see God piecing together kingdom upon kingdom for His glory. The story of David goes something like this as we close. David built a very big house for himself. He lived in this house, and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. David says, You know what? I've got this fine house, but God's platform he's given me, it's too, big, it's too good for me just to keep to myself. I've got to somehow leverage my life and leverage my, 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 my you know, blessings. I've got to use this to get God more attention. I mean, I could build bigger houses and I could have a lot of stuff and have a lot of nice toys, but I think I should do something to get God some attention because that's what this is all about. And Nathan says to David, Go, do all that is in your heart. Now, you'll rarely find anybody ever say to someone in the Bible, as God is speaking, do all that is in your heart because most of what's in our heart isn't that good and isn't worth doing. But Nathan says to David, David, there's no heart like yours. Go and do all that is in. But God responds and relays to David that he would build a house, a dynasty from his lineage. That he would give all those that came after David a direct opportunity to live and leverage their lives for God in an amazing way. And here's David's response. Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that you have brought me thus far? What if we responded to every day, every blessing like that? God, this is too good for me. This is too good. This is too, this is too holy and sacred for me. I'm, I'm just a person. Who am I that you've done this for me? And yet, this was a small thing in your eyes, O oh Lord. You've spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind. David says, God, but this wasn't hard for you. And God can do this for every one of us. Take our little lives and make them matter for something much bigger. David says this was a part of God's plan from the beginning. What more can David say to you? For Lord, you know your servant, O oh Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant notice, know it. Therefore you are great, O oh Lord God, for there is none like you, there is no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. David marveled at the opportunity. He worshipped at this chance he had been given. If only, if only, we would follow God every day, exalt and magnify His name along the way, what renown and fame we could bring Him. As we close this year out, as we celebrate Christmas, what have you done with the days that God has given you? What renown have you brought to Him in the year that He's given you? Abraham and David only had a glimpse at what God was building through their lives, but we've got a bigger picture. 
we've got a better view. See, we can look back and see clearly what God has done through lives that have surrendered to Him. And we can see with certainty that, wow, He's a God that you can trust. We can look forward. We can look forward and know with certainty what God can and what God will do through lives that are sold out to Him. So we can make Jesus a present every day, as present every day, every week, every month, as He will be in the week to come, if we make this decision, if we make this our one desire. O Lord, we have waited for You. The desire of our soul is for Your name and for the remembrance of You. If only we would accept that Christmas vision that God has cast over us tonight. What a difference we might make, just as those that set the stage for this most wonderful time of the year. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to be in your house tonight. Lord, I'm praying over all your people tonight before we dismiss every single one of them. Lord, you've cast this Christmas vision over. Lord, their lives matter. Their works, their actions make a difference. Their words share the testimony of your story. Every single one of us, Lord, you've cast this vision over our lives. Just as these men and women set the stage for Christmas, we now live in the aftermath. We now live in the uh, dismissal. We live in the shadow of what you did 2,000 years ago. You changed the world and now 2,000 years later Christmas and Jesus is all people talk about for just a little bit of time but Lord what if we could be a generation that spreads this message and spreads this spirit and spreads this passion and conviction to all year round. What if we could be the generation that says this is my desire I will live for his name and for his glory and nothing less. Father, I, I accept this invitation tonight to, to let this vision be realized in my life. I want to be like this text says I can be. I believe the people in this house tonight want to be like this text says that we can be, Lord. Let us be like Abraham and follow you. Let us be like David and always worship you. That we might see the difference made in a world that needs your light more than ever. We ask all of this in the marvelous name of Jesus Christ, the Savior and King. Amen.